Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. favorite speakers here tonight. I don't know if you guys know who it is. Is it up there on the screen? Don't don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. Okay. So, all right. This guy, I have known this man for a long time. A large portion of my life I've known this man. And uh, he has been probably one of my closest, bestest buds. He would argue best. He's already saying one of. What the heck? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, best bud, okay? He, this man has changed my life, one of been the greatest influences in my life, and he is, I know, this message, this is something that he doesn't just uh, think about and say, this is something he really carries, is, is that Jesus really is more than anything else. It's all about Jesus, and so I'm excited. He's, all, he's consistently always pointing my life. He's one of the few people I can go to and just have a meltdown, and he'll like point me back to Jesus, right? And so you guys are in for a big treat tonight. Can you welcome up Dominic Groves as he speaks tonight? It's okay to stand. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Come on. Yeah. He is talking about Jesus, colon, more than. Come on. So, hey, let's stretch out our hand and pray for this guy. Lord, I thank you so much for Dominic. I thank you for the, the message on his heart tonight. And I think he's the perfect one to speak to this. He, uh, he carries this message of pointing it all to you, Jesus. And so we, we just, we bless him right now. We pray that your words would speak to him and through him right to our hearts, God. And we thank you. I thank you for a night that is much more intimate and close and near. And Jesus, I ask that you would be intimate, close, and near tonight and speak directly to our hearts. We love you, Lord. And we bless him in your name. Amen. Take it away, bud. Woo! Thank you, Pastor Taylor. Woo, that mic is working good. Okay. <laughs> Can we? Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Like he was talking about, we're going through our Jesus series. Um, I usually like to open my messages with a story. However, for tonight, I was just so amped to talk about Jesus. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, a couple weeks ago when we started talking about what we were speaking on coming up and we heard it was a Jesus series... I just got pumped. Like, the last couple weeks, Emily and I have just been talking to each other. Like, we can't wait to just talk about Jesus. And so tonight, I really want to do my best to kind of just keep the main thing the main thing. Um, I think at the end of it tonight, what I would really love is if we just all walked away feeling more connected um, with this God who we love and who loves us. I hope we can see him in a new light. I hope we can take away more of who he is than when we walked in with. Um, And I'm just, I'm so, so excited. Um, So I want to just dive in. How many of you guys have heard the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus? Does anybody know this story? I love this one so much. I didn't find it till I was in college somehow, Um, but it's so good. It's out of, it's, it's just, it's so good, guys. And it's out of Acts, and it's just basically... Or no, not out of Acts. Sorry, it's out of Luke. (laughs) I was like, what am I talking about? I jumped ahead of myself. There's this other verse in Acts I'm also thinking about. It's out of Luke, actually. It's Luke 24. And uh, basically, I I just want to set up some groundwork. Jesus has has died, been buried, and actually has resurrected. And he's starting to kind of make appearances around, but people don't widespread know that he's come back. And it says, as these guys were walking along the road, they were, they were just disciples of Jesus. They weren't some of the apostles. They were just disciples. They were followers of Jesus. And they were on the road to this place called Emmaus, and they were just kind of bumming, you know? They heard that Jesus had been killed. They didn't hear the news that he came back, and they were just kind of bummed about it. And they meet this traveler on the road, and Jesus is kind of like, what's going on? Like, oh, you haven't, you haven't heard what's happened in these days. Like, you're not, you're not hip to the current events, and they tell, they tell Jesus about the story of Jesus. <laughs> and meanwhile, this guy just starts sharing scripture with them and, and kind of running them through this whole story. And they say basically, hey, come home with us and stay and all this stuff. And at the end, they realize it's Jesus. And then he just disappears. He's just gone, right? And as they reflect on that, that's where this verse out of Luke 24 comes from. It's verse 32. I love this verse. This is talking about those guys that were on the road. It says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I love, oh man, I love this so much. Did our hearts not burn when we heard him speak? (laughs) 
Like they realize it's Jesus after spending all this time with them. They're like, oh, of course. And as they're just with Buddy, like just him and the other guy again, they're just like, didn't our hearts burn when we heard him talk? Didn't our hearts burn when we, when we just heard him talk about the scriptures? When we, we were just with him and heard him speak. Didn't our hearts burn? As if to say, shouldn't I have known <laughs> I was in the presence of Jesus sooner? Because of the way it set me on fire on the inside. <laughs> and I think if I could capture one thing, I want to capture that. Do we live our lives in such a way that when Jesus speaks, when Jesus shows up in our life, when we go and press into him, when we find him, do our hearts still burn? I want us to take away that tonight. Do our hearts still burn when we hear him speak? I don't, I'm not interested in a fake Jesus. I'm not interested in an extra social click. I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in his bride. I'm interested in who he really is. And I want to strip away, I think, something that we do. Because we can't physically see Jesus in the flesh in front of us, unless someone's really gifted as like a seer or something, which is super cool. But we don't always see him like face to face. We don't always see him right in front of us. And because of that, I think it does some weird things to our minds sometimes where we start to not treat him as if he was a real person, as if he's not still alive. You know, we bury him in the pages of a book. We try to, we try to lock him in the four walls of this building sometimes. And we forget that he's a real person that can meet us on the road, that can meet us where we're at, who we can go to meet and just be set on fire again. And I think that that's what it's about tonight. You know, last week my wife did such an amazing job of talking about the importance of intimacy with Jesus. And honestly, I'm kind of pigging back off of that. I think that that's the biggest thing. Like, let's go for more of that. And so I want to kind of unwrap just some ways that I think kind of get us like little roadblocks or little hiccups or things that just kind of sometimes get in the way of us connecting in that way. So what I want to share is this idea. I have three points. You guys ready? Say three. Three. I made it real easy. I, tr I tried to full on do a little structure. The name of the message is Jesus more than. And all of the points incorporate a more than statement. Ready? Who's ready for number one? Number one. Jesus is more than an object. Woo! What do I mean about that? I mean, like I said before, sometimes we, we forget that Jesus is a person. <laughs> we think of the object of Jesus, or we look at an icon like, like a cross, which is so good. I mean, the purpose of a cross is to remind us as believers everything he did for us and everything he came back from, right? But what can happen is we can almost like look at it and it can just become another object. And we can associate Jesus so much with just the image of a cross that it no longer leads us to the cross. We just are like, oh yeah, Jesus, cool. Like we, we sometimes lose that connection point. We start to associate him as if he's an object. And I want to, and like... <laughs> God does not want to be another object. <laughs> like, ultimately, if we start to objectify God, even, even subconsciously, we're kind of trying to make him into an idol. <laughs> and that's really intense, and I'm going to come back to that. But first, I actually want to share a story from the Old Testament. Are you guys ready? This is one of those gems that when I read it, <laughs> I, was like, I was like 18 or 19, I read it for the first time, and I was like, I can't believe this is in here. Like, this is such a, like, funny, I don't know, but so great. So it's out of 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 5. It says, after the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, that's the Ark of the Covenant. If you guys seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's the thing that melted the Nazi faces. That's actually based on a real thing, right? For those that haven't read some of the Old Testament, the Ark of the, of the Covenant, the Ark of God, was this, this place that the Lord's presence actually fell on. It actually dwelt. That when people would touch it, they would instantly die because it was so holy and so filled with God's presence that they weren't set apart enough to actually touch it. So there were all these ways where they had poles and they had priests and they had, it was a really, really intense thing because God's presence resided on, it came down on the ark. And so it's talking about the ark of God. <laughs> so it says the Philistines captured the ark of God. They took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. 
But the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who entered Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. What's going on? I think some of you kind of get the picture here, but just to give a little more context, Dagon is a demonic god, lowercase g, that was around a lot in the Old Testament. It was just kind of like a false god, an idol, a blasphemous, demonic situation that people worshipped, right? Don't really need to go much further than that. They capture the Ark of the Covenant. They capture this thing that God's presence is like on, (laughs) and they try to put it in the same room as an idol. <laughs> they try to put that in the same room as Dagon, <laughs> their, their idol, their representation of their deity's presence, you know? And I love it. The next day, oh, it fell over. That's weird. What if that had happened before? <laughs> Prop it back up, no problem. Next day, it's on the floor again, and it's just broken to pieces. And so from that day, everyone associated with this was scared to even step where it was because things got broken. Why did I bring this story up? Because I think we, I don't want us to objectify God. I don't want him to, us to make him into an idol. Even this physical ark that, that represented God's presence, that it was, it was there, right? Even that, which was a physical object that had the presence on it, even that was enough to topple idols as if to say, hey, you might think you have an inanimate thing next to an inanimate thing, but what you have is an inanimate idol next to the presence of a living God. And in the presence of God, darkness flees. <laughs> Stuff gets broke. The fear of the Lord are in the people that they don't even want to put anything next to where the presence of God was because it got broke when it was next to it. <laughs> so if the Lord does that with the Ark of the Covenant, what happens when we think about the presence of the person of Jesus? <laughs> what happens when we think about the Holy Spirit that's actually in us and through us? And, and just wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he's there. What do we think about that? <laughs> Do we make it an idol or do we actually have a fear of the Lord of like, oh my gosh, the presence of God is here. (laughs) And we might not always feel it. I mean, sometimes in worship, we might get warm. We might feel a little electricity. We might feel really connected. Even right now, you might be feeling that. And that's awesome. That's so valid. That's so good. That's so the Lord. But even if we don't feel that, the truth is, hey, it's a biblical promise that we're two or more gathered in his name. He's there with us. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit is in us. (laughs) The presence of the living God, the presence that toppled the idols, the presence that raised Jesus from the dead, that Holy Spirit's in us. I just don't want us to objectify him. And I think that sometimes we do this on some level, don't we? I think, and what do I mean by that? Because I don't want to get so abstract that we can't connect. (laughs) How do we objectify him, you know? In our culture, we've talked about, when we talked about sexuality series last month, we talked about accidentally or purposely like objectifying people, right? It's horrible to do that. But we kind of know what that means, right? We make them an object. We reduce them down to their parts or what we can take from them as if they were some kind of commodity, you know? When we talk about healthy sexuality, we we can easily grab onto like, oh, let's not objectify women. Let's not objectify men. Let's not think about them in terms of their parts, what they can offer me, what I can be like, yep, let's trade this for that. Yep, I'm gonna get this, just pull it. Like as if it, as if there was no autonomy, as if there was no agency, as if there was not honor or respect or, or things there, as if there was not relationship there. And what I'm saying is we have to be careful we don't also do that with the Lord. <laughs> and how can we do that in our lives? I think it's sometimes when we go to God as if he's an ATM. And I'm guilty of this sometimes, guys. I won't, I won't lie to you. There's a lot of times where my prayers are like, Lord, please bless me. Amen. <laughs> when I'm really altruistic, please bless me and my wife. Amen. <laughs> but that happens to me too, you know. But what happens when we, we, we start having the ATM God? we can really make it about what he can give us and not as much about building our relationship with him, you know? (laughs) I actually got rebuked sort of really gently (laughs) when I was uh, about college age, like younger. And I remember I called my mom, and she said, hey, son, so good to hear from you. I'm like, yeah. And there was a pause, and she said, hey, so what do you want? 
I was like, oh, I'm just calling to say hi. She's like, oh, that's great. And I realized in that moment, oh, wow, I've done not a really good job at maintaining this relationship right now that she thinks the reason I'm calling her is just because I need something, you know? And it's not that she wouldn't want to give it to me. She did honestly want to know, hey, if there's something I can help you with, what's going on? Do you need money for gas? Do you need this? Do you need that? But it's messed up that I had behaved in such a way that the first response was, okay, what do you, what do you need? You know? Not how are you doing or, hey, let me share this with you or, you know? I think we do that to the Lord sometimes. We can bypass the actual relationship, the actual building with it, remembering that he's a, a person, <laughs> And we can go straight to like, Lord, give me this. Lord, help me with this. Lord, touch this in my life. Which is so good. Like ask, seek, knock. Like keep praying, keep pressing in for those things. But what I'm saying is if your whole faith and your whole relationship with him begins and ends on that page, there's so much more for us. You know? And I don't want us to miss out. Another thing I was thinking about today actually or, or this week when I was prepping is like our iPhones. Like how many of you guys have one of these or something comparable? Android generation? You guys got some? I think about how, what a gift this thing is, right? This is obviously clearly an object, right? <laughs> I am objectifying this. But I, I think when I look at it, we are sometimes so about instantaneous gratification or just instantaneousness. <laughs> I think that's the word. I look at this device that is so essential to my life. It's so important. I would say, hey, this is actually one of the most important things in my day-to-day -to, -day to keep me on track to make sure I meet everything I'm supposed to, to keep me going to the right places at the right time. It gives me the information I need. It helps me pay bills sometimes. It actually helps me communicate with loved ones sometimes and in ways I wouldn't be able to otherwise. However, it's an object. And what happens the second this object doesn't behave like I want? How many of you guys have like a breaking or broken phone at some point? when it doesn't do what we want, when it gets all buggy, when it just breaks. I get so frustrated at it. Immediately I was like, I'm like, this thing is junk. <laughs> I'll throw it away, I'll try to get a new one. Sometimes I'll try to fix it, but sometimes I'm like, it's not even worth it. Let me get a new one. I, I was thinking about that because I, I don't want to do that with my Christianity. <laughs> I don't want us to think, no, 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 Jesus is so important to me. He tells me where to go. He keeps me on the right track. He can help pay my bills. He can help me communicate with some people in some ways I couldn't before. I think about him every day. It's, he's an important resource. I use this for maps sometimes. He literally will guide the way I go. And on paper, it looks like we have that all lined up. And it's so good. And the way an iPhone's pretty good. But what happens in your faith the second that Jesus doesn't deliver how you want? What happens when the map of what Jesus is taking you takes a little bit of a detour from what you had intended? What about when you want to pay for this bill, but he says, hey, why don't you put your money over there first? What happens? What happens when his response is slower than you want? Huh? Do we get frustrated? Do we want to throw him away? Do we get so angry that we're like, should we fix this relationship or should I try to find something new? Should I peace out? Or do we wait? I think the difference between an object and the person of Jesus is he's not an object. <laughs> There's a level of an investment there. More than just the superficial, hey, it, it helps me a lot. It's a tool. I can think of a lot of ways that people in this room really bless my life, really call me higher really do a lot for me, really make my life so much better than it was. And part of that is because God is in relationships and he is for sure in his church. <laughs> Praise God. But it's so different to say, I really care about Joel because of all the ways he enriches my life. And because he's a good guy, we've been through some stuff together. We've walked to certain places together. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, Africa. <laughs> The difference is, I don't love Joel because he's useful to me. <laughs> and the second he's not, I'll just throw him away. I love Joel because we have a relationship. We have a friendship. We have a brotherhood. There's an amount of equity and trust built there. I don't, I try not to, for a second lose sight of, this is a person in front of me. 
there's a give and take here. There's something to build. There's something to maintain. There's something to not abandon. I don't look at people and think, I can get this much from this person. Therefore, it's worth the investment. (laughs) I'm worried sometimes that whether consciously or not, we can do that with the Lord. We can treat him like the iPhone. (laughs) So important, so essential, blesses our life. But are we sure we remember that he's a person? (laughs) And that's what I want to challenge us with. It's just so important, guys, because when we don't do this, our relationship can start to just get perverted. It can get skewed. We can get off track. (laughs) You know? How many of you guys, you don't even always realize how much you depend on this until it breaks? (laughs) You know? Let's not get so far with our... Get to a place with the Lord where... (laughs) We're thinking about him so much as an object that until he really pulls the rug from under us, <laughs> all of a sudden we're like, what the heck, God? What if along the way we actually say, hey, Lord, what do you think about this? What if we say, Jesus, what is your heart for this, for this person, for this relationship, for this plan of mine, for this job of mine? And what if we didn't focus on wanting the answer so instantaneously? We can hope for that. We can pray for that. But what if we made space to listen? I think I'm actually surrounded in a room of a lot of doers, and that gets me super excited. You know, I think that some people bag on millennials, and I'm like, that's like the worst thing we can do because millennials are our future. Like, no generation is perfect, but like, I want to speak life over them. There are some really great qualities about this generation, like there are for every generation. And one of the things I see about millennials is we're doers. Sometimes we're doers before we do our homework on it, but we're doers, (laughs) you know? Sorry, I repent. But what do we do with a lot of doers? I think we instill the virtue and the fruit of the spirit of patience. I think in our relationship with the Lord, let's not always expect something instantaneous. And when he doesn't speak, we say, okay, Lord, you must not be here. I'm going to move on. What if we actually wait a while in his presence? I'm not saying we're lazy. I'm not saying we're not being good stewards. I'm just saying how much time do we actually set aside with the Lord to just be in his presence and just wait to see what happens? I've learned so much about the heart of God just in the waiting. I I am convinced that King David learned more about the heart of God when he was out there tending sheep by himself in the waiting than he probably even did as king. I don't know that for sure. It's speculation. But I think that something happens in the waiting. I think that something happens when we actually pursue the Lord in those places. And I think we miss a lot out of it if we objectify him and try to treat him as this instantaneous thing except for a person you ready for point number two all right number two is jesus is more than a literary character Woo! so exciting anytime i can say the word literary part of me just gets all jolly on the inside what what do i mean by this i mean i think a temptation i had growing up because i grew up in a christian school right I made the decision to pray and ask Jesus in my heart when I was five, which was amazing. But then I had Bible class every day, which was amazing. But I also had Bible class next to history class. I also had Bible class next to English class. And to me, one thing that happened that was not so good for a while was I started to blend my faith as a kind of academic exercise. I started to see the characters in the Bible, not as the people they were, but as literary characters to be analyzed as fables, as what have you. And I think that I did a disservice to myself in not trying to really fight for that separation in my head of like, no, this is so real. Like Bible class, it's so important to learn the Bible. It's so important to, I mean, if you want to take a Bible class, take it. It's so good. Like if you want to get a Bible degree, like get it. It only is going to help you. But I think what would have helped me in the process was to really maintain the perspective of as much as we can make this sort of academic, it is so much more than academic. It's not like history class. It's not like English class. And why I bring that up now is because I think that some of that has bled over into my Christian life since elementary school. And I think it's something I've seen in, in some of my other believers, which is I think that sometimes we try to close Jesus in, the, in between the pages of the Bible. And I want to be really careful with how I say that. <laughs> 
The word of God is something we're supposed to meditate on day and night. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is one of the best things in the entire world to sustain us, to ground us, to empower us, to equip us, to prepare us for every good work, to build this relationship with Jesus, right? But ultimately, if it doesn't lead us to a deeper revelation of our, revel of our relationship with Jesus and bringing us closer in relationship with the body of believers, then we've missed something. So I want to read out of John 5. I love this verse too. I honestly just pick verses I like love. Like sometimes the messages I'll Google, like what's a good verse about hope or what's a good verse about this? This was a time where I was like, I know what's already on my heart. It's these verses I really love. How can I make a message with that? <laughs> this is a verse I already really love. It's out of John 5 verses 39 and 40. It says, this is when Jesus is talking to, talking to some people. I think it was the Pharisees or something like that. <laughs> Jesus says, you study the scripture diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I'll actually read that one more time. Is that okay? It's just so good. There's so much like Jesus in this. Like this is like I, I know that like I know that like red letter Bibles, you know, when like the words of Jesus are in red, this is like the most brilliant red, right? This is like this is like highlighted double red in my in my version, right? You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What I want us to make sure we do here is I want us to take Jesus' rebuke here. I want to take this personally sometimes. I want to meditate on the word of God. I want to search the scriptures. I want to delve. I want to find the, the knowledge. I want to get down to the Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and, and find all the root words. And I want to just do it because I can and it enriches my life. But what I don't want to do is be so focused on that that I forget that the whole point of all the scripture is to point us to Jesus. That's the holy word of God. It's God breathed. It's a weapon. It sustains us. It equips us. But the Bible is not what I have eternal life in. I have eternal life because the Bible actually points me to the man. The Bible actually points me to Jesus in whom I have eternal life. I want to get to heaven someday, and I hope I have some Bible degrees, just a behind the, behind the curtain thing. I'd love to get a Bible degree. Not to be like, ha-ha, look what I got, but because I'd like a justification. I'd like a level of investment where I could say, I studied your word so that I could feed the sheep better. I studied the word so I could be a better husband and father someday. I studied the word because I wanted to know you more while I was here. God, before I'm in heaven and I am in your presence at all times, imperfection, I want to use the 70, 80, maybe 100, Lord, uh, <laughs> I want to use the time I have as the most potent offering I can give on earth, which is to say, with the finite I, time I have, with the tiny pie slice of what my existence looks like on this side of eternity, next to eternity, what is 80 years, what is 100 years? It is the only time we have a level of investment that we can actually choose the Lord before the Lord is our default setting. Praise God for glory. Praise God for heaven. Praise God for eternity. But do we understand that? Like today, like this is the time we're never going to get it back. This is the time in a fallen world that we could be lights, that we can actually give the Lord an offering that we can't give him later. And because of that, I want to study the word so much. But the last thing I want to hear when I'm before the Lord is you studied the scriptures because that's where you thought the life was. The whole point of that was to lead you to me. I think the whole point is to lead, it's to lead us to the Lord. It's to lead others to the Lord. If we read the Bible and it doesn't mobilize us, if, if we read the Bible and it doesn't make us want to do church, and by that I mean relationship with other believers better, if it doesn't make us want to evangelize, if it doesn't make us want to burn for the things of the Lord, then I think we're just looking to the scriptures and we're not looking to the man. Jesus is more than a literary character. He's life. The Bible points to a man. 
You guys ready for point number three? Yeah. All right, sorry. see some glazed eyes in the audience. I know I'm talking a lot. Some people might say I'm being a bit preachy, but I figured if there's one outlet to do that, it's probably here. <laughs> right? I'm so excited, guys. I'm excited about this message. I don't know if you can tell. Like, I am so excited to talk about Jesus. Like, I feel like maybe more than any other message, this is a time where I'm like, I want to really share my, some of my favorite scripture with my brothers and sisters. <laughs> I want us to have our time with Jesus now so that we can run outside and kick the weekend's butt. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I want that so bad. And I feel just so alive when I was just thinking about preparing this message because I'm like, I get to, sp worst case scenario, I get to spend half an hour talking about Jesus. <laughs> that is worst case scenario. Best case scenario, people get saved and just ready to rock. Their hearts are on fire when they hear him speak. As far as I'm concerned, that's glory to glory. <laughs> Worst case scenario is still best case scenario. <laughs> Number three, Jesus is more than me. What do we do with Jesus? If we make him an object, if we try to close him between the pages of a Bible only, if we try to lock him in the four walls of the church, which, by the way, the church is so important. I love this. I love that we have a place to gather. It's so important. But if who Jesus is in our life is confined to these four walls, if he's confined to every time we open that one book or even that one friend group, then we are not getting all that Jesus has to offer us for our lives. He's more than us. I love this. I was reading. I actually started, I stopped what I was reading in the New Testament, which were these epistles that were so good, and I started reading the book of John a couple weeks ago to prep for this message. Not to find verses, but to literally, I just want to spend even more time with Jesus <laughs> to get ready for this. And I came across this. It was, when, it was when the woman was caught in the act of adultery. Do you guys remember this story? People dragged, religious leaders dragged a woman out of a case of adultery, which I don't know if that was a sting operation. I don't know how that happens. They caught her in the act of adultery. Usually the act of adultery doesn't happen in a public setting, so I don't know what those guys were doing. But they caught her in the act of adultery, dragged her before Jesus in front of a whole community, in front of a, a ton of people that had influence and leadership and esteem. And they say, hey, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They used her as part of their game. Talk about objectifying someone. They used her as a pawn to try to checkmate Jesus. They literally say, let's try to trap him with this. Let's see what he does. They said, hey, the law says we have to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? This woman is probably sobbing or in so much shock you could see it in her face. Caught in the act of adultery. Brought before the pastors and leaders and every, in the community outside brought before Israel's leading prophet, Jesus, <laughs> thrown on the floor, thrown aside, thrown to be shamed for everyone. You say, hey, we're supposed to stone her. That's what the scripture says. What do you say? He says, all right. But whoever has, <laughs> he who's without sin, why don't you throw the first stone? And one by one, people dropped their rocks. The people that dragged her up to win their game, to kill this woman, says they dropped their stone on the floor. Starting with the oldest, going to the youngest. As if the oldest knew, oh, I probably have more sins than some of these young ones. I, I can't throw this. And then you have Jesus reach down, and she, he says, didn't anyone condemn you? She said, no. He says, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. I love this. I love this. You have a, these people that were steeped in traditions, who abused their power, who objectified this woman, who was caught in an act of sin. She was wrong. She knew she was wrong. She knew she deserved death. Thank God for her that of all the people they could have thrown her in front of, they threw her in front of Jesus. They didn't throw her in front of some other leader. They didn't throw him in front of someone else that could have abused their power or shamed them or try to make some kind of spectacle like these people did. They threw her in front of Jesus. And one by one, 
everyone realizes they don't have a leg to stand on to judge this woman. The only person who did was Jesus. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Go, don't sin anymore. From that place, she just starts telling the village. It's so good. It's so good. We have another story as well. You guys heard the story of the the woman at the well? (laughs) It's another story where Jesus meets this woman, and she's a Samaritan woman. (laughs) Jesus asks for water to drink. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a a Jewish man. This is like unheard of. Why are you asking me this? He, teach, he tr- turns it into an opportunity for her to encounter the Lord, <laughs> saying, I have so much more than the water you offer. I have living water. I have eternity in mind. Eventually, it leads to this place of her saying, hey, I'm not married. He calls her out and says, hey, you've actually, you, you've, you've married, married several times, and the person you're currently living with is not your husband. <laughs> this woman is caught in her own <laughs> interesting acts, in a way. This woman has the foresight to say, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) This woman also testifies to the people around her about, let me show you the man who showed me, who told me everything I ever did. There's something real here. Do we notice, even in these two stories alone, how these women who encountered Jesus, they had to share it. It reached them at a deeply personal level, and then they shared it. They told everyone. We see a model of what happens after something like this in John 5. Oh, no, sorry. I read that earlier. John 4, 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to this woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. What happens when we realize that Jesus is more than us? What happens when we realize it's so much more than our own story? That the best part of our story is actually when it collides with Jesus' story. The main story. What happened to both of these women? She was, one of them was caught in the act of adultery. That was where the story of her life was. This other woman was going to a well at a time of day where no one else was there because she was ashamed probably to be seen with the other woman in the village because of judgment. Tell me where her life was at. And then Jesus came. And her story got grafted into a, such a bigger story that she couldn't, they couldn't help but testify. And I love this verse. Like, we see why the Bible works. We see why the Great Commission works. We see it right here in John 4. Because their story was grafted into Jesus' story. And that had to keep going. <laughs> she just, all she was equipped with, she had sin, failure, all the stuff behind her. She was equipped from Jesus. And the only thing she had equipped with was what her relationship with Jesus entailed, which was, let me tell you what he knew about me. What was her preaching platform? The extent of the relationship she had with Jesus. She didn't say, this is where he came from, from the line of Adam. And it's so good. I mean, like the history, the Bible's so good. But what I'm saying is, what did she have? What did her life have to show? The, over, the, the Venn diagram overlap section of where her life met Jesus. She immediately started testifying, look, this man told me everything I've ever done. What was her relationship with Jesus? Hey, let me tell you about the relationship history you've had. Oh, wow. It's like one of the gnarliest core things in my life, Jesus. You must be a prophet. <laughs> There's something real here. Suddenly she's not ashamed. Suddenly she says, hey, let me show them everything. Look what this man showed me, what, what happened here. And then they said, wow, when we heard the story, when we invited him 
to have dinner with us. We talk to him ourselves. We no longer believe because of what you shared. We believe because we have our own encounter. We had our own encounter with Jesus. Verse 42, I want to read it again. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Our lives are so important. Every story matters. Every life matters. Every life here certainly matters. Every single one. Because we're made in God's image. That means from moment one, from conception, from moment one, our lives had value. Because moment one, we were created in the image of a living God. And then some of us have, that have been called into grace through what Jesus has done for us, we're actually, we're actually called sons and daughters, co-laborers, co-heirs with the king. We have value. But can I tell you, I think the most important part of our story, the most important parts of us, are when we collide with his bigger story. Our most powerful platform for preaching or just being good stewards of our lives, for being good lights, for just being good Christians, good people, the best platform we have to stand on is the overlap where my life met his. He's more than us but he wants to share it with us. He wants to invade our lives. He's more than us. But we can absolutely share everything he's, he's done in our lives. I had other stuff I wanted to talk about, but I think I kind of wanted to just land on this. And this isn't in my notes, but this has been something that has been haunting me for a couple weeks. So this is the verse out of John 3 by the way, or sorry, Acts 3. Wow, I did it backwards this time. <laughs> the thing out of Acts in the beginning that I messed up when it was supposed to be Luke, well, this is the thing out of Acts, right? It's out of Acts 3. It's after, it's when the apostles are released, when they're building the church after Jesus has died and resurrected. This is where they're beginning their ministry in earnest. This is where they're building the church. This is where it's happening. This is New Covenant. This is the same thing we operate out of. I just want to read here out of Acts 3. It says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is our same story. We operate with this same Holy Spirit. There was no... There's no difference now separating what happened there in the book of Acts and what happens now. That same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same Holy Spirit that was moving through Peter and John in the story is in us if we're believers. What I'm saying to you is I love that Peter and John, they didn't even actually have what the guy asked for. <laughs> he was hoping for gold. They were aware that they didn't have what he was looking for, necessarily. But still, that guy came expecting. And Peter said, hey, we don't have silver or gold. <laughs> but what we do have, we give to you. What did they have? They had what had been given to them through the Holy Spirit, through their relationship with Jesus. What I'm saying is to have a powerful impact, we have to let our stories cross over with his, Right? We have to yield to his greater plot points. We have to yield to his greater design for our lives. 
And I guarantee it's going to be the most fulfilling thing you ever do with yours. I have no doubt that there are billions of people outside (laughs) that they might say, I need money. (laughs) Maybe I need a physical healing. Maybe I need a job breakthrough. Maybe I need a car. (laughs) Maybe I need clean water. (laughs) Maybe I need hope. Maybe I need forgiveness. Maybe I need a lot more than what I've been given here. I don't think we're in charge of saying, I need to meet everything they ask for. (laughs) Or I need to meet something that I think that I'm supposed to give them. I think the only thing we're in charge of is to say, regardless of what you're asking for necessarily, if I don't have it, I can't give it. But I am ready to give what I do have. I didn't really expect it to go this way, but I'm happy it is. I just think Jesus is meant to be shared. He's more than everything. He's meant to be shared. If you could ask the woman at the well, if you could ask the woman caught in adultery, if you can ask him, what's the best thing that ever happened in your life? I really feel like I know what they'd say. The moment Jesus walked in. For the the beggar that was in front of Peter and John, who since birth was crippled and lame and abused and penniless on the side of a road somewhere. Hey man, what was the best day of your life? The day I heard about Jesus. The day that at the name of Jesus, I was made whole and well and able to walk. The power worked through Peter and John. The power was not Peter and John. (laughs) Notice they say in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. But notice that was what they had to give. (laughs) There are billions of people outside that you might be thinking, I don't know if I can give someone a physical healing. (laughs) Just give what you've been given. You know? Just give what you've been given. Some people might need $1,000. You might have 10. I guarantee you there's someone out there that needs five. What if we just give what we have to give? I think the power in that story is not even necessarily the healing. I mean, that's a big part. I think the, the thing that strikes me is they gave what they had. And they knew what they had to give. He's more. He's so much more. He's so much more. And there's a world in such great need for that so much more that is with us that we have to give. There are so many stories that have to be written still where we walk up. As he is, so are we in this world. What if we rewrote those stories? What if we rewrote those stories and said, what was the best day of that woman caught in adultery's life? It was the day she met Mitchell, who introduced her to Jesus. What was the best day of a person's life who was suffering with clinical depression, who was suffering every day of their life and maybe was not seen by people around them? That was the day they met with Patrick and the day that he introduced him to Jesus. It doesn't always happen to happen overnight, but where are we? And we're already doing a good job, but this is what's still happening. Those stories are still being written. We need to recognize that it's so much more than what happens here. It's what also happens out there. So I'd like to pray for all of us, and then uh, we're actually going to make a time to do some small groups tonight to kind of just process, reflect, and uh, just grow together um, as a response to, to what's happened here.
So, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for sending Jesus. It was your good plan to give us Jesus. We just thank you, God, that Jesus is so much more than our circumstances. He's so much more than our past, our present struggles, our shame, our weakness, our falling short. He's so much more. You are so much more. God, I pray that you empower the people in the room tonight and who may be listening. God, give them whatever tools they need to get before you once again. All it takes is a word. All it takes is making the time to do so. We just thank you that your arms are open wide for us. God, we repent for ways that we've tried to objectify you or forget that you're so much more than what's going on with just us. We just thank you, God, that you want to use us. That you want to use us to be part of so many people's best day of their whole life. We thank you for the privilege that you want us to actually be the people that grab their hand and place it in yours. Do it in us, God. Your church is the plan A. There is no plan B. We just thank you, God. So I ask that you just bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.